Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. On May 14th, 18-year-old Peyton Gendron traveled over 200 miles from his home into Buffalo, New York, where he shot and killed 10 people who were shopping at a top supermarket. Based on a 180-page document, which was posted on the internet, Gendron claimed that a motivating factor for his shooting rampage was his belief in the great white replacement theory, which he learned about over the internet during the pandemic isolation. The Buffalo mass killing evoked community outrage, which followed similar killings at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston in 2018, the Walmart killing in El Paso in 2019, and others. On May 24, 19 Latino elementary school children and two teachers were victims of another mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas by an 18-year-old. While we do not know if this shooting was directly the result of the white replacement theory, it has the same effect upon people of color. These killings immediately resurfaced the outrage which followed the 1999 mass killing of 15 at Columbine High School in Colorado and the killing of 17 students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018. Parents and residents of Uvalde are outraged as are a vast and diverse population of people from around the country. Widespread condemnation of police officials gun-supporting elected officials, NRA members, and others have been manifested around the country. The immediate outrage has intensified following the startling revelation by Texas law enforcement officials that 19 police officers stood outside of the classroom without attempting to intervene for almost an hour as these killings occurred. On May 25th, students from around the country walked out of their classrooms to protest the Uvalde killing and to voice their concern regarding the failure of elected officials and law enforcement community to protect students in our school system. Participating in this national-wide walkout were over 200 schools in at least 34 states. In addition, a recent Washington Post poll revealed that 94% of African Americans entertain a serious concern about white supremacist violence occurring within their community. It has also been reported that since the beginning of this year, there have been over 225 mass killings, which are described as encounters in which more than four people have been injured. Most of these incidents involved shooters and victims who were less than 21 years of age. What are the impacts and implications of these killings on our youth population is the topic of our discussion this evening. Joining us for this discussion are three leaders of the North Carolina NAACP Youth and College Division. Jonah Spella is the president and is a student at the North Carolina School of Science and Math. Alejandro Ibrahim is the first vice president and is a rising senior at North Carolina Central University. And Siana Simone Hammond is the secretary and is also a student at the North Carolina School of Science and, uh, and Math. Well, start us off. Thanks to the three of you for joining us for this uh, this discussion. 
Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure and an honor. Well, to start us Thank off, you. I want to just kind of acclimate our audience to you and who you are and what it is that you've been doing with your life thus far. So could each of you, starting with uh, Ms. Stella, kind of give to our audience a brief background on who you are and some of the pursuits in which you are presently involved. So Ms. Stella, we'll start with you. Absolutely. Again, thank you all for having us. Um, it's an honor to be a part of today's discussion and to be here. Um, as you said, my name is John Speller. I am a rising senior at the North Carolina School of Science and Math located in Durham, North Carolina, uh, but I am from Scotland County uh, or Laurenburg, North Carolina, and previously attended Scotland High School. Um, I've actually been a part of uh, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP, uh, since the age of three, I've been a member. And I have, uh, learned a lot about activism, communication, and uh, the importance of putting in place the proper laws to ensure the safety and true inclusion of all people in this country we call America. Uh, so I am looking forward to this discussion. Uh, one thing I've learned in this organization is it's a great, great thing to be able to communicate, but it's even more exceptional tool and resource to be able to listen, especially listening to those who have uh, many more years ahead of you and much more knowledge about our world and these topics uh, so that you can listen to that, learn and become a better leader and even a better citizen, uh, a wiser one to go out and make a difference and communicate that wisdom to others as well. Uh, so I'm looking forward to communicating, but I'm definitely looking forward to listening to uh, the great conversations happening today. Uh, and as you said, I'm the president of the North Carolina NSU College Division. Uh, we do a lot of work within the states and throughout uh, different counties uh, with our units, uh, which are youth units that can be at the high school level uh, or in communities. And we also do a lot of work at uh, different colleges and we have college chapters as well. Uh, so I won't hold up too much more time, but thank you again for the chance to introduce myself and happy to be here. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that background, uh, Mr. Ibrahim. Uh, good evening, everyone. Oh, well, good morning still, still morning. My name is uh, Alejandro Ibrahim. Again, I'm a vice president of the Youth and College Division for the great state of North Carolina. And also I'm a rising senior at the illustrious North Carolina Central University. And uh, my major is history. And so I've taken a passion for history to learn where we come from and where we're going and really um, in ways to commemorate the past so that um, our youth can have a better understanding of what happened in the past. And one thing I'm very dedicated to is the advancement specifically of black males um, in America. I'm part of the Med Achievement Center uh, led by Dr. Roger Keith um, in North Carolina State University. And, you know, he's just really helped me and give me an outlet to um, help black males, you know, achieve their goals and help them out because we go through so much um, statistically, you know, in the world, in this country as black males, you know, we just go through a lot. And by being able to help black males and be a resource to them, um, it's really been a passion, a calling for me. Some efforts I really am part of with the Youth and College Division right now is we're developing a state uh, reading program so that college and um, youth divisions can partner with elementary and high schools and middle schools to do a reading program with them. Reading is fundamental. Uh, Black youth lack in literacy rates in North Carolina and the United States as a whole. And it's really important that we, especially as students and college students, we go and we help the young kids and be a positive face to show them that they can too achieve greatness, that they don't have to be a rapper, they don't have to be entertained, but they can be an educated person in the community and can be doing work and I think that's very important that we go there and help teach the youth um, the power that they have within them. So that's one effort I'm dedicated to with education, really, and making sure that even though the school system is not giving our students the best education, we can take it upon ourselves and do for self and help educate our own. So that's one thing I'm really passionate about. All right. Thank you very much for, for that. Uh, Ms. Salmon. My name is Siani Simone Ammons, and I am also a rising senior at the North Carolina School of Science and Math, located in Durham, North Carolina, and I'm the secretary of the NAACP. I actually joined the NAACP um, three years ago, and since then I've been involved in trying to help um, voter awareness and education around our state, and also I've been trying to basically record down the meetings and report all of the efforts that my team has just talked about they've been doing. And 
something that I'm very, very passionate about is writing poetry and also history as well. Although I am just a rising senior, I'm interested in majoring in history and English and also a minor in film and media studies. Because I feel it's learning how we create learning the art that we produce as a society is very important to our education. I have goals of learning this and also saving this, conserving the art that we produce, the mediums that we do art in. It's just very, very powerful, especially for Black youth across the world. Okay, well, thank you uh, for that. And thank the three of you for your, uh, for your leadership and your willingness to share your thoughts with us uh, this evening as we talk about a very, um, impactful matter uh, that is uh, present uh, around the country and particularly in our, uh, in our neighborhoods and in our community. So let me just uh, ask uh, all of you to uh, kind of talk about your, 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 your thoughts and first reaction when you uh, heard about the uh, recent killings in uh, Buffalo and uh, uh, Uvalde. Uh, Texas and how that uh, impacted you. So let's start with, uh, uh, again, with Ms. Spell. Right. So um, thinking back to my first reaction, um, first of all, reacting to Buffalo, honestly, I think it's a very chilling feeling um, to not witness it virtually and, and witness how devastating that entire um, incident really was. Um, it's, it really takes me back to thinking like, um, thinking of other incidents, uh, that where Americans, specifically Black Americans and Americans of color should feel safe and should feel protected to, uh, maybe march and protest in the streets or go to church or, uh, go to the grocery store, um, and just, all these places and locations that should be your everyday safe space, your everyday routine that you should feel protected and okay to go to and things you should be okay with doing, you have to always have that second thought in mind about these cases that have occurred, especially as a African-American individual. It's extremely chilling and absolutely devastating to see the tragedy that had occurred um, in Buffalo. And then thinking to the incident that occurred um, in Texas uh, in that school, even <laughs> thinking that children should be able to safely attend their schools and feel that they are okay to go um, and receive an education. It's just the simple things um, that is so sad that they're slowly being taken away from us. And the simple things that we shouldn't have uh, as young people or as people of color in this country, we shouldn't feel scared or unsafe in being able to go into those spaces and do those everyday, very simple things. Um, so ultimately, I felt just devastated and extremely just a chilling sensation uh, throughout my entire mental state um, while even watching, looking, or thinking of the horrific uh, events that occurred on both of those scenes. Mr. Ibrahim. Um, yes, sir. So when it came to the Buffalo shooting, uh, this, I'm, a, I'm a history major, so I'm a historian. So I do see a lot of history um, going over. And one thing I've noticed with the history is that we've been killed, you know, innocently for such a long time. So I was alive when they shot at the AME church in South Carolina. And that instance, I've been alive with other instances of racial violence towards Black people. And so when I see the Buffalo shooting, in all honesty, I wasn't too shocked because I, this is something that's just been common amongst America just killing us and especially when you're when, you, when you're a black male number one on the whole you're used to people looking like you're being shot constantly i went to high school with friends of mine who got shot i went to high school people got shot killed people already you know who have died so being that that's been something that i've commonly been around and seen it wasn't much of a shocker to me and i found that as a problem because you know america has made us especially as black people so insensitive to the violence against us you know that to where it's just common for us to die in the street and to be killed. And another thought that came to me was, was that, well, it's just another, it's just another thing where they're gonna talk about it, but nothing's gonna change. And the first thought that came to me, honestly, 
another thought that came to me honestly was we need to start protecting ourselves. Nobody's protecting us, it seems as if. I feel that the police will not protect us. Other people won't protect us. From what I understand, somebody called 911 and the lady hung up on them. When they called 911, when the man was shooting. So there's a level of disrespect on all grounds, all grounds against us. So it's time, I feel that we need to protect ourselves. I don't know, I know you're familiar with the Deacons of Defense that was in Louisiana at the time. I saw that movie and it just sparked me because I was saying to myself, maybe we need to really protect ourselves. Maybe we need to protect our communities alone. Nobody's doing it for us. The government isn't, we've done our best. We voted people in who said they would and we're still going through this. We're still going through this problem. I'm tired of it. So I think it's time for us to really step up and also protect our own selves if we can. And while it may sound like a task that may be difficult, we have to put ourselves first because nobody's putting us first anymore, it seems as if. It seems as if they can constantly come in and kill us. If we, especially as you know, elders in the community of black men, if we have to step up and protect our own, then we're just gonna have to do that until we come to the best solution. Because I know that I'm tired of my people being killed. And if the government clearly doesn't care, then we have to care about it ourselves. And we thank you uh, for that. Uh, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review. And uh, we, we thank you for joining us uh, this evening when we uh, continue our discussion on the impact uh, that uh, these mass killings are having on, uh, on our youth. Uh, uh, we will return with Ms. Amundsen talking about her uh, reaction, but we want you to uh, stay with us as uh, we continue this conversation with three of our youth leaders that are part of the uh, North Carolina uh, NAACP Youth and College uh, Division. So hang on and we'll be right back. North Carolina Central University School of Law was founded in 1939 to provide opportunities for African-American students to become lawyers. Embracing our heritage, the mission of NCCU Law is to provide a quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. We empower our graduates to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. NCCU Law is excited to announce the creation of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center, made possible by the generous pledge of $5 million by Intel Corporation. The mission of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center is to produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology in alignment with the law school's mission to one, facilitate the efficient, effective, and ethical practice of law, and two, increase the access of legal information and services to underserved communities. You can learn more about the Technology Law and Policy Center by visiting the NCCU Law website. Okay, we're back on the uh, legal legal review. Thank you so very much for staying with us this uh, evening as we uh, continue our conversation with uh, three youth leaders who are associated with the North Carolina NAACP Youth and College uh, Division. And uh, we're discussing the uh, impact and implication of uh, recent killing uh, in uh, Buffalo and in uh, Texas on, uh, on our youth and what uh, they are feeling uh, about this. And we have uh, uh, enjoyed already uh, comments from two of them. And now we're going to go to uh, Ms. Ammons, who is the uh, secretary of the uh, North Carolina NAACP Youth and uh, College Division for uh, her comments with respect to her reactions when she first heard uh, about the events in uh, Buffalo and uh, in uh, and in Texas. So, uh, Ms. Ambers. Thank you for introducing me. When I first heard about the Buffalo shooting, I was actually in class. I was in my American Studies class, which is like a history and literature combination. And in this American Studies class, our teacher had always managed to highlight a lot of the events centering around brown and black people in America, because typically that isn't something that we get the chance to experience and listen to. 
So when she was highlighting this moment, this horrific moment that happened in Buffalo, New York, I felt really sad, especially since it was the last last day of class. In the last day of class, we learned about all these people dying and congregating in a supermarket. And as I learned more about the details of these people's lives, about how someone was actually driving people to the supermarket who couldn't drive there by themselves, and they died, I felt as if humanity, I felt as if huma- when humanity is added to these people, it felt like life was getting bleaker for me. Because I feel as if since we grew up in a generation where a lot of shootings happen, we're desensitized almost. We're like another shooting happened, as Alejandra already said, or this situation happened, or brown people just got killed, or black people just got killed, or a minority was just targeted. And we're like, this is what happens in our world. And I feel as if us being desensitized to this is terrible. And it speaks to how much the infrastructure is crumbling because we shouldn't be desensitized to a person losing their life. We shouldn't think, oh, this is just another minority that's been killed because they were a minority. We should think of their name. We should think of their history. We should think of the facts that make them up as a person. And as I learned more about the shooting in Uvidel, I felt really, really sad because my I have cousins who are young and they're in elementary school. And I heard about the story of that one girl who had to pretend that she was dead because she didn't want the shooter to target her. And she had to put the blood of her friend on her. And I thought, how could someone, an 11 year old, be faced to do that? That's something that typically happens in the conditions of a war, not something that happens in the classroom. We're supposed to learn. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be nurtured to grow mm-hmm. into a good member of society. You're not supposed to have that trauma enforced on you. Thank you for that, Ms. Ammons, and, and thank you all for sharing your thoughts. Um, you know, each of you emphasized that, you know, your reality. Um, has been throughout your your young lives in dealing with these types of incidences, these types of traumas. When I was thinking about, uh, as Irv was kind of going through the introduction and he was talking about Columbine, which happened in 1999, I don't know if any of you all were, were here, were in existence during that time period. And I remember how shocked I was um, at the at the prospect of someone going into a high school, uh, to people going into a high school, it was two individuals going into the high school and shooting it up, and it was such a stark moment in this country. And and today, uh, it just becomes commonplace. It's like when there's an incident that happens, a mass shooting that happens. As you know, Mr. Ibrahim had said, you know, none of us are surprised. Is kind of to be expected in this world, but it's different for Irv and myself. When our, you know, when we were in our formative years, when we were, uh, you know, in our teens and early twenties, certainly there were things that we were dealing with, but we weren't dealing with mass shootings the way that they exist today. Mm-hmm. Um, and each of you have touched upon this, but if you could. Um, share with us your thoughts on what you would like those of us who are um, elders, if you will, know about how this has impacted you. And you all have already kind of touched upon it, but I think it's important that as we look at where our country is going and how we respond to these incidences, that we never lose sight of the fact that the young people are um, as Ms. Ammons mentioned, being traumatized over and over and over again. And Ms. Ammons, I'd like to start with you and have you kind of share your thoughts on what we, those of us who are older, need to better understand about the reality in which you all find yourselves as younger um, individuals. Something that my grandfather always says, and this does relate to the question that you just asked, is that a lot of people are, that we're, we're going to inherit this earth, that we're going to have to deal with the ramifications that the older generation has caused for us. And I feel as if something that the older generation can do is listen to us, and they can also incite change. Because although we are youth, and although we are expected to incite change, the people in power, the people that hold all of the decisions that can make these decisions in our legal system are of the older generation, and they're not going to listen to us. We've seen what happened. I think probably 3,000 people Actually, I saw like an infographic on Instagram earlier today that 3,000 people have died as a result of mass shootings in America. And they're now known as the lost class, the lost class that will never be able to graduate. And I feel as if if 3,000 people have died, 
there should be change enacted and we're trying to incite change, but that's not able to happen because we are the youth. And I feel as if listening is just a first step that someone can do from your generation. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Ibrahim, what, what are your thoughts? I think a lot of us, I can say personally, we're paranoid. We're, we're afraid wherever we go, whether it be sometimes our own neighborhoods, public spaces, like a restaurant, whatever, that somebody might go insane and just pop off on people. And I think that for me, it's giving me a sense of I need to protect my own self and I protect those around me. Um, I think one thing that a lot of us, we want the elders to really listen to is that we're just as paranoid and afraid as you guys are. It's just that you guys live in the time, as you said, where mass shooting wasn't to worry about, but it was. And as Yanni brought up, you have an 11 year old taking blood from another girl to cover herself. That's war zone type mentality right there. And that shows what we have to deal with really in the war zone to where we, every day is a day we might come in contact with a conflict. And so what, what I want people to understand this too is that we're, we're different, we're growing up in different era to where we are paranoid, we're not safe at home. We have to talk about wars, you know, it was just Memorial Day. So they were showing Pearl Harbor, you know, all these movies, right? Saving Private Ryan, people using machine guns and everything. We live in a society where that's okay to use. So we can get machine gun down at honestly at any time too. So we're just we're just as afraid and as paranoid as anybody else. And while we want change and everything, you gotta be honest with a lot of you don't feel like it's coming. Because when we understand what America's about, we understand it's a capitalist society where the NRA, the gun lobby makes millions, billions of dollars off weapon sales. Is the government really gonna take the time to really fix this issue? Are just gonna keep on putting on band-aids on it? And so for some of us, including myself, with the sense of, well, if the government won't do what they're supposed to do, we must do it for ourselves. And we must protect ourselves and stand up for ourselves and you know, protect those around us. So be it, if we can. Thank you, Mr. Ibrahim. Ms. Speller. I have to uh, agree with what both of my peers have said thus far. And one of the first things that my mind went to was the 2018 shooting in Florida. Um, that sparked uh, the initiative of the March for Our Lives movement. Um, and there were, if you all remember, there were tons, hundreds of young people who were taking a stand then, um, a very big stand. In fact, um, that march was in DC. They had speakers, they had celebrities, like the entire nine yards. They went all the way. Um, and it was really, uh, it, it was shown to the nation and it really looked to be a youth-led um, initiative and mission. Um, and I believe there was support, of course, from uh, those who were not youth. But there is this interview of an individual, uh, a young man who was a part of the uh, March for Our Lives movement. I think he was also a student at school when the shooting occurred. And they were asking him like years later, um, how do you feel about where we are with uh, gun laws and how do you feel um, uh, we've progressed uh, since that incident occurred? And he, I mean, he was college age and he, I think he said he traveled outside of the country or whatnot, but he absolutely just looked devastated and still looked extremely uh, just sad and as, Alejandro and Tiani said, just very hopeless. Um, and he was like, you know, looking at this guy who did all, he was a part of all of that. He saw, um, so he saw so many people join together to do what uh, we encourage in this country so much, which is to take a stand and exercise your democratic right to, um, well, your right in, democ in this democracy to uh, vocalize your uh, what you believe in and what you believe should be changed. He did all of that and still came back years later to a similar situation occurring and having to speak uh, about um, the same issue. So I think a lot of young people, even those who have been a part of those types of initiatives, those who have um, unfortunately been at the scene of these uh, horrific occurrences and those who have not, but also have just been onlookers of this happening in their country. It's, it's, it's a very, very terrifying state of mind. I think mental health for young people is definitely being targeted right now, especially with all that's been occurring. Um, and I think a lot of people, as Alejandro and Siani said, are just very hopeless and very 
very sad right now. You know, the, the, the three of you represent uh, a bridge uh, in these uh, shootings and killings. Uh, first of all, you are African-American uh, and you're young. And the uh, vast uh, majority of victims have been from those two uh, classes, as well as the uh, perpetrators uh, have been from those uh, classes. Uh, from, from, from your perspective, what is it that you can do or that can be done to stem the tide of these uh, shootings such that we don't have the kinds of results that we have seen over the uh, past uh, two uh, decades since uh, the uh, Columbine uh, mass uh, killing? So uh, why don't we start with uh, Mr. Ibrahim? I think one thing that uh, also needs to be really changed is uh, the red flag laws. I think those need to be enacted nationally. Um, also, background checks specifically on more on people. I can't say gun bans because at the end of the day, we know that they're not going to do that. We just know that's not going to happen. Doing with the political nature of what's going on. But I think those are things that could be available, as well as further understanding why these young men are doing this. There has to be something going on psychologically that you want to go and kill innocent people. Something's going on up in your head, but I don't think that's being studied enough. So I think there needs to be a lot of research done on development of young males specifically on why they're doing that nature and why they're feeling the need to do that. I think another thing is also, even though, as again, I'm not too optimistic about any laws really changing the whole situation. I think that community needs to also protect themselves the best possible um, in many ways, have more people on the lookout just for anything like that. As I said, that man look, that man came in Buffalo several times before he did it. So he was already planning out what he was doing. And it needs to be somebody, you know, just watching, making sure the community is safe, in my opinion, because the police aren't doing it. They 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 had chances where they could have you know been and got this guy, they did it because they don't care. So we have to start caring. We have to start protecting our own. So I would say more background checks, more um studies into the mental development and also community protection. Those are the top three things I think we can do right now, because um, those are just very important as it is. Miss Spelling. Right, I would agree. And um, one thing that came to mind was the social media aspect as well, uh, because we know that in the Buffalo incident, the shooter had previously made several um, um, just claims and uh, just tellings of his plan, of his intentions, of his state of mind on, I believe it was more than one uh, social media site. Um, and apparently there was even an incident at his school where something was written, given to someone or said as he was a senior and that he went to the police station and was evaluated from there. But uh, obviously nothing correct occurred uh, for him to go back home and then come to this day where he uh, went to that uh, grocery store and shot those individuals. So I think that as Alejandro said, I think that background checks are significant. I think we definitely need to think about um, the state of mind that individuals and not just the age that they are, but um, where are they mentally? Are they mentally um, at a place where they can be trusted with having this weapon, with keeping it safe, with using it properly. Um, and also I think at what, what access do we have as civilians? If we're not in the military, if we're not on the war zone, why are civilians having access to military style weapons? Um, it's, I think there's, I think there certainly needs to be a, uh, Strong. I think the laws that we have need to be enforced, and I think that uh, further than that, we need to work to improve upon the laws that are there. Um, new laws, maybe, but I think if we can't enforce the laws that we have, um, we need to start there before we do develop new laws. And before even that, I think we should improve on uh, amending what's already present as well so that we can have uh, stronger restrictions and to ensure that people are at the in the right state of mind and also um, just at, in the right place 
to be able to have a weapon. Um, and I think there definitely should be some type of, in that background check, look of people's social media page pages and their uh, virtual activity, because obviously that seems to be a trend of um, these shooters and uh, killers going on to these social media sites, going on to web pages and um, using that to motivate them to do these acts or using that as their place of telling other people about what they're doing or what they're thinking. Uh, so there certainly needs to be a level of sensitivity on social media that that is not okay. If someone is posting things like that, that's not something to just scroll over. Uh, but also when someone's trying to uh, have hold of a gun or a weapon, they need to have a background check that also includes uh, looking at their social media and their um, internet intake as well. All right, you are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour about the terrible mass shootings that have occurred recently and during the past couple of decades. And we have with us here in our Zoom studio sharing their thoughts with us, three uh, amazing young individuals who are members of the North Carolina NAACP Youth and College Division. We have Ms. Beller, who is a senior at the North Carolina School of Math and Science, and also president of the North Carolina NAACP Youth and College Division. We have Alejandro Ibrahim. He is a rising senior at the NCCU, and he is also the vice president of the Youth and College Division of the NAACP. And finally, we have Siani Simone Ammons, who is also at the North Carolina School of Science and Math and secretary of the Youth and College Division of the North Carolina NAACP. We're gonna have to take a quick break, but we hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Brittany Burks, and I'm currently A2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And this is your community spotlight. The North Carolina Central University School of Law offers four certificate programs. Upon completion of the specified requirements, law students may earn a certificate in civil rights and constitutional law, dispute resolution, tax law, or justice in the practice of law. As a part of the Eagle Promise, NCCU School of Law offers our students four outcomes upon graduation. Completing a degree program on time, becoming socially and globally engaged, proving leadership, and graduating market ready. More information about any legal program is at 919-530-6610. My name is Brittany Burks with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour to some amazing young people about the mass shootings that have occurred in this country just recently and also for the past decades. Um, right before the break, we heard from Ms. Speller and Mr. Ibrahim about a question that was posed by Irv, which is, what can be done or should be done to prevent similar occurrences in the future? And so, Ms. Ammons, we'd like to, to hear your thoughts. Um, as we see you know, these shootings continue, what are your thoughts about what could or should be done to stem the tide? To echo what um, my peers have said, what Alejandro and John just said, I feel as if there should be stricter monitoring and also more stricter gun reform laws. I know, I know most likely gun reform laws won't be enacted, especially since we have been advocating for gun reform laws for such a long time. But I feel as if one of the first steps that we can do is start having psychological evaluations when people go to purchase guns. That's a very, very big, 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 big change that is needed 
because a lot of people are able to get these guns with no psychological evaluation. I feel as if a psychologist needs to actually get permission for someone to buy a gun before they actually are allowed to buy a gun. And I feel as if they should evaluate the members in their household because a lot of people are getting these guns from their family members, from their parents, from their uncles, from their aunts. They're having access to this. And I feel as if there should be education on how to not let young children get access to these guns. Because if a young child gets access to these guns and they're not psychologically evaluated, you see what happens with all of these shootings where high school students are going in high schools, where they're going in elementary schools and they're shooting at places. Additionally, I feel as if there should be some monitoring on these sites that typically generate people, um, I think our generation calls it incels, but people who also have like white supremacist ideals, such as like Reddit, or core all of these other sites in the dark web that lurk around that breed people like this because people have set their plans on this and I feel as if that shouldn't go on that shouldn't be ignored that isn't a joke saying that you're going to shoot up a school saying that you're going to harm someone's life and I feel as if it's like you take those precautions with sexual abusers and sexual assaulters you should take the same precautions I know that on a more level that every person can do and that's not more on a legal system we should remember these victims we should remember the facts about them we should remember their names and we should remember them not in their victimhood but we should remember them in their personhood we should remember them as people who had lives who had names instead of remembering this person who went out to harm others who went out to play god and take lives thank you miss ammons so all of you have talked about mental health. You've talked about the internet and social media. So this is yet again, something that separates the youth from you know, those of us who are, are up in age. Uh, so we didn't grow up with the internet. We didn't grow up with cell phones. We didn't grow up with personal computers. This is all you know, relatively new. However, for you all, this has been, you know, in existence um, for your whole lives. And so the consumption of information, um, be it misinformation or disinformation, it is so accessible via the internet. And so this, of course, ties into uh, people's mental health. So what they consume is going to have an impact. It's also going to have an impact on how people see the world. So if the only information that you're consuming is misinformation or disinformation, you're going to have a skewed perspective, which again is going to play into one's mental state. Can you all talk about the role that um, the access to information, so social media via the internet, how that um, plays into the mental health and the wellness of of young people in particular. So not even, not just those young people who are perpetrating these offenses, but also how does it affect your well-being um, and your mental health and wellness and the trauma that you um, experience, even secondhand. Um, Ms. Beller mentioned watching the shooting in Buffalo, right? That was available via the internet. And, and that trauma that we take in um, not just from hearing about the incidences or empathizing with the victims, but also visually what we see. Can you all talk about how our current kind of access to this information via the internet is playing a role in the mental health of those that are perpetrating, but also those that are learning about these um, horrible acts that occur? And uh, Ms. Spello, let's start with you. No problem. So. In terms of the intake of social media, I think it's complex. It, it depends on the individual, um, what they uh, categorize their social medias to, what they find of, as a common thing um, on their, what they look at. Um, but I do think that something that can be said for the majority of, of young people on social media is that things like these, things like things that are either inappropriate or um, violent or just shouldn't be occurring on social media seems to be um, a common trend. And I think that for many is absolutely way too normalized. Um, on social media, it'll show you, uh, it, it's, it's designed to show you what you search, what it, 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 the algorithm 
expects that you're into, what you like to look at, what you seem to consistently be uh, researching or um, enjoying to watch. And not saying that that is something enjoyable, but if you, if the media is constantly used uh, for these negative things, where whether it's misinformation or inappropriate communication or uh, violence or uh, violent, vulgar communication, those things um, will find a way to populate on young people's screens. So I think there's already just too much of a normalization of seeing those images, videos, uh, messages, um, et cetera. And I think that absolutely has an impact on um, the viewer and also has an impact on the perpetrators as well, uh, because they think that is okay. Um, and I remember even when, even when, even though this is beyond the scope of what the incidents we're talking about, but even when George Floyd occurred and social media was the main way that people viewed that entire incident firsthand, I think even <laughs> that it's normal for us to now have to use social media um, to defend ourselves as Alejandro was talking about and for us to make change and for us to make some type of difference we have to show um these incidents occurring we have to show um the abuse that people are receiving and it's absolutely devastating to see even though many maybe numb to it I think I can personally never not be impacted by seeing a child without their parent or seeing um, the like a elderly person or a young person um, now being in a morgue or in a graveyard and families devastated and shocked and just not expecting or they shouldn't have to expect it just just not being prepared for that that thing that they're going to wake up to and see on all forms of media one day. So I think it's very complex to talk about how social media is being utilized right now. Uh, but I definitely think that it's way too normalized to see um, like the, like the shooter in Buffalo, his thing. I don't understand how that, how he posted his declaration of doing something like this. And that was overlooked and no one noticed it until he actually did it. No one blinked an eye at the fact that he posted that on social media until he actually went and shot those people. So I think there's absolutely way, way too much normalized on social media. Um, and we should take social media a lot more seriously, especially when we see things like that, because um, a young person declaring that they feel violent thoughts to themselves or others on social media, that's not a trend. That's not um, something that's funny or they're just joking. It's not a JK moment. I think that is absolutely something that should absolutely be taken seriously and people should act on it immediately because those things should not be normal on social media. Thank you, Ms. Speller. Mr. Ibrahim. Yes. So we got to understand number one, that the brain is a computer. The same way you put something to a computer, you're going to get an output reaction. The brain is the same thing. And so the brain is seeing things on social media. Our brain is seeing things on social media and it's beginning to really process it. And so social media is like how TV was back in your day. Um, TV back then, everybody was like, oh, the TV, you know, student kids, we just look at TV all day long and everything. It's different now. Now we're looking at the phones, the iPad, IG, Twitter, all that. And so the fact that social media is now the new TV per se, but it's so many outlets to it. In the same way, you guys had NBC, CBS, now we got Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, all that, TikTok too now, is we're all processing it. And because some of us now, we see through on social media, we think we gotta live our lives a certain type of way. So some of us will start posting on social media things that we have no business posting, doing things we have no business doing. Young children are getting exposed to things you really shouldn't get exposed to until you're an adult. And because of that, our minds are now different. It's being shaped by algorithms. The algorithms begin to own our brain. We're not beginning to own the algorithm. And by doing that, you have children of all sorts intaking things. So he was able to post his manifesto on the net. You know, he got probably got radicalized on the, on the net and things of that. But that's what social media is doing. It's beginning to enter our brains. Same thing with music. How we see a lot of our mind and music is entering our brains as young males and young women. And we're beginning to 
be so insensitive to this violence that we can listen to someone talk about killing a whole nother person and we won't feel a certain type of way. And that's what music and social media is doing. It's programming us. It's brainwashing us to think a certain type of way, act a certain type of way when that's not even right instead of helping us develop our own selves. So I think that there needs to be a lot of regulation for social media. The government needs to really do that. But again, that's where this capitalism comes in. So I think it's upon us to teach our youth and to teach people in general why the dangers of social media, how this thing can really have you think it's something that you that's not even right for you to be thinking, or you can be thinking a certain type of way. And so once we truly understand that social media is not bad, let's, let's get that out of the way. It's not bad, but it's bad if you follow those avenues that are bad. I only have Instagram. I don't do TikTok. I don't really have that. Twitter, no. I, too much of it is not good for me. I already know this. And so the page that I follow Instagram, it's uplifting me as a young Black man. It's not telling me to do anything wrong. And you have the right. We understand that people also have the choice to like, not like something, follow or not follow something. So why are we have to also educate ourselves and say, why are we following things that are not positive for us, not helping us at all? We have to change the way we see social media. Social media isn't bad, but it has those bad avenues. And so once we teach ourselves that how to use social media, the good thing is saying we TV can be good for news, telling you what's going on, political agendas going on, but it also has those channels that you shouldn't be watching, especially past 12 at night. We got to do the same thing for Instagram social media pages. Thank you. Ms. Sammons, what are your thoughts? I agree with what John and Alejandro have said thus far. I feel as if there should be a lot of monitoring on social media, but also I want to take a different approach to your question that you asked about social media. I feel as if in social media, a lot of young people in my generation, Generation Z to be specific, have gained a lot of insight on what's actually happening in the world and a lot of real life world events. I remember during the pandemic, actually, I wasn't the type of person who watched the news. I actually told my mom that I found the news too depressing to watch it. But suddenly on TikTok, I was able to like learn about different avenues. I was starting to get interested in advocacy. I was starting to get, I mean, I was starting to get interested in activism and advocating for gun reform. I started to get interested in the history of being an African-American woman. I started getting more interested and the plights of other minorities around me. In TikTok and Twitter and Snapchat, I started getting more interested in actual news like NBC and CBS. And I actually started wanting to learn more about what was actually happening. So I feel as if it's a double-edged double sword because again, social media needs to be monitored. Also social media has allowed a lot of people to open their eyes and see what's wrong with the world and see that they want to change the world too. Well, let me just pose this up. Uh questions with quick responses from uh, from each of you. Uh, what what is it that young people ought to be doing now? Uh, because it is your generation that uh, for the most part is targeted by a lot of these uh, these shootings. And uh, many of the people who are committing these acts uh, come from members of uh, this uh, generation. So what is it as youth leaders you are our future, as I've heard so often. Uh, what is it that uh, that you would want to, uh, that you need to do? And let's start with Ms. Ammon so she doesn't get left out. <laughs> Thank you for starting with me. Um, I feel as if young people, since I have such a broad term, and I include my cousins and my generation, they're um, six and seven, even though they're in Generation Alpha, should start researching more. They should start listening to the, they should start listening to the elder generation about their own experiences. And they should also start listening to the, to the victims. They should start, they shouldn't become desensitized to what they hear. And I feel as if a lot of us are starting to become desensitized to a lot of the horrors, the horrors that we hear in the news. We're starting to expect that to be a daily occurrence in our lives because a lot of law officials, a lot of legislation isn't changing. It isn't going to be changed. Gun reform isn't happening. And we're witnessing that. And we're feeling sad of power to change. My feelings of listening and continue to advocate for gun reform laws, continue to advocate for change is what we should do no matter what. I feel as if making sure we monitor what's happening in our peers. If someone is being isolated because they, they are showing strange unsettling behavior, we should talk to an authority member that we trust to get them psychologically evaluated. Because people have said, people have said about all of these people who have committed these mass shootings that they were isolated by their peers because they were loners, they were strange. And 
although I'm not saying that every strange person, every loner, every person that is isolated from their peers has this ability to become a mass shooter. I'm saying that if they're isolated, they need to be, they need to be talked, they need to be involved, they need to have a community around them because we cannot let this occur anymore. I think people, young people shouldn't have to become the authority members in our lives because we're young people, we're growing, we're changing. And we shouldn't have to feel as if we're becoming adults because we're growing up in this place where gun reform laws aren't changing when they're not even being initiated in the first place. But I feel as if we need to take a step in the right direction and researching and listening and just saying and speaking on our experiences like me, Alejandro and John are doing right now is very impertinent and important. Mr. Ibrahim. I think that we have to change the culture as young people. We have to definitely change the culture. Um, for me, for example, I live in Durham, North Carolina, when I attend Central. So I spend most of my time in Durham. When I visit home, then I'm not there. But one thing I've noticed is that what are we as young people looking to do to change Durham and how Durham is? I think that's where it starts. It's starting in the community that you live in. Last year was the most dangerous year in Durham. We had the most homicides. How are we as young people trying to mentor young men so that they don't go into, you know, the route of wanting to eventually committing a homicide or wanting to do heinous acts. How are we mentoring young people and how are we helping the community members to be the best resource to them? I've talked to people with Bull City United. They said they need more mentors. So how are we as students and as young people being a resource to them so that they can help disadvantaged youth? And it's about really what we as young people want to do. Back in the 60s, 70s, young people, they were very active in the community and such to where it was a thing where if you weren't active, what were you doing? We got to make that change again. We got to stop hanging out, having fun. We got to start putting in the work because, you know, we're going to complain about this Buffalo shooting, but let's just be honest, a month from now, we're going to act like it never happened. We're going to complain about the next one, the next brother who got shot in the street um, who was innocent. We're going to complain about it, but we're not going to fix it. So we need a constant 365-day, you know, action-based program to help our communities. And until we take, until we as youth, especially black youth, take control of our communities, we're gonna be in the same situation. The community belongs to us. We fund it, we make it what it is. There's a reason why businesses are coming to the community and opening it up and taking our resources. There's a reason why gentrification is going on. They know our power. We need to take our power back. We need to own it. We need to come and take our community back what it is. Say no to things that are helping our community and make an environment to where people can grow and cultivate their mind. But it starts with us as young people, because no disrespect to the elders, you, you guys, you guys are, you got to tie. Y'all been doing this for too long, and we're supposed to take over that mantle. We're supposed to say, hey, you know what? We got it. Y'all can sit back and watch what we do. Y'all can sit on the porch. Y'all can, you know, sip on some iced tea. Y'all can have fun. But with us, we got to take back our community. We have to take it back, and it starts with us owning it and understanding our power as young people and how our voice and how our actions are going to speak louder than anything because the community, again, belongs to us. Once we take it back, nobody can stop us, and I mean nobody. And Ms. Spiller, we just have a couple of minutes uh, left, so let's uh, get, get your quick comments on uh, this last question. Yeah. Right, and I'll speed it up because both Siani and Alejandro really said it. Um, overall, I would say to those who are hopeless, use that anger, use that distraught, use that pain and turn it into something positive. I would encourage those who are often on social media, as Alejandro said, we as young people are very adept to quick trends and things uh, being on the forefront of people's minds one day and then the next day something different. But I would encourage us to look at this as a movement because that's what it really is. It's going to take work. It's going to take time. But it's going to take perseverance and consistency. We have to keep going. So I would encourage every young person, regardless if you're hopeless, regardless if you're just thinking of this as a trend. No, that's not. It's not just the moment. We have to do more than the hashtag. We have to do more uh, than just posting on social media. We have to really uh, take the forefront and really push this forth and push forth the change that we want to see so that we can have a better tomorrow. Um, as both of Alejandro and Sian have said, um, it, is, it is in our hands. So I would encourage every young person to know that they have the power to make change regardless of how hopeless you feel there is um, a light at the end of this tunnel as long as we keep pushing forth for it. So keep going. That's the best advice that I could give. All right. Well, thank you all for, for your time and your thoughtful comments and um, suggestions. And you all are an inspiration and motivation to those of us who are 
considered elders. And we just can't thank you enough for your uh, being engaged and involved and thoughtful about what we can do to make this society better. So we had the pleasure of having as our guest, Jonah Speller. She is a senior at the North Carolina School of Science and Math and also president of the North Carolina NAACP Youth and College Division. Also Alejandro Ibrahim, who is a rising senior at North Carolina Central University and also the vice president of the North Carolina NAACP Youth and College Division. And we have finally Siani Simone Ammons, who is also a student at the North Carolina School of Science and Math and secretary of the NAACP North Carolina Chapter Youth and College Division. Of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, as always, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.